jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvement. Good morning. Good morning. How's it look? What time you got? 
1016. Make it 1013. Huh? Close enough for the report. What? Time of death. Matthew Trevor Denton, WMA, 31 years, 5 foot 9, 164 pounds, had stopped living at 10.13 p.m. on May 8th. We didn't know who he was or why he died. Before we left the hospital, we put in a call to Denton's address, but we got no answer. We checked the name and description through R&I. There was no record on the dead man. At 10.48 p.m., we left Georgia Street and drove over to the scene of the shooting, where we talked to the witness, Andrew Cates. Right over there is where it happened. The bus stop. Uh-huh. I was uh, standing right here. Right here. Mm-hmm. I saw the whole thing happen. Yes, sir. About what time was that, Mr. Cates? Oh, I guess it was 9.30 or so. I see. I was just standing here and bang, bang, two shots. Did you see what led up to the shooting? Well, what do you mean, led up? Well, I mean, did you see what happened before? Oh, yeah. Whole thing. Uh-huh. Would you tell us about it? Sure. All right. Go ahead. Well, it was one of those nights where just nothing went right, you know what I mean. Uh-huh. I started off my wife burning the coffee. I wouldn't think a person could do that, would you? Burn the coffee? So I go ahead? I had a big argument before I left home. I just started off that way. Yes, sir. Got down here and took over. About what time did you open the stand, sir? Oh, I'm 7.30 in the morning. Uh, Try to get breakfast business, you know. People on the way to eat. Stop off for early paper. I see. I try to get them. All right. I open her up in the morning, and then there's a school kid takes over for me about 3 in the afternoon. He's here around 6.30 when I come back from supper. I see. That's when she burned the coffee, night supper. All right. You want to tell us about the shooting? Oh, sure. Uh, kind of hard, you know. This is the first time for me. How's that? Well, it's the first time I've ever been a witness. First. I see. What time did you first see the victim? Man who was shot? Yes, sir. Well, I told you, it was about 9.30. The car pulled up to the curb, and this fellow got out. He kind of stood there for a minute, and he talked to the other fellow in the car. He just stood there a minute and talked, kind of leaned in the window. Mm-hmm. car pulled away, and the one man, one who got out, yeah. he walked over and sat down on the bench like he was waiting for the bus. Kate, you got a good look at the car he got out of? Well, I saw it, if that's what you mean. What did you describe it for us? It was a black Chevy. I'd say maybe a 52 or 53. Sedan or coupe? No, it was a sedan, four-door. Nothing special about it. Did you get a look at the man that was driving? No, no, the light's kind of bad over there. You can see for yourself. The one fellow leaning in the car, I couldn't get a good look. Uh-huh. I didn't pay a lot of attention to it anyway. I didn't seem anything to get all concerned about. All right, sir, you want to go ahead? Well, the fellow sat there for a minute, not doing nothing, just, just waiting. And this other car pulled up, right up the curve. Mm-hmm. One guy got out of the car, got right out, and walked over to the fellow sitting on the bench. All right, sir. Oh, excuse me a minute, the customer. All right, sir. What do you think? I don't know. Old Bert always stops by the same time. He gets one of each, you know, same time every night. Good old Bert. Yeah, see? I wonder if you go ahead with your story. Oh, Oh, yeah. Well, this car pulled up and the fella got out. He walked over to the bench, started talking to the first man. They got in an argument. How do you know that? What? Well, how do you know they were arguing? Well, I could see standing over there, waving their arms around. I could even hear some of the yelling. There was no trick at all to see that they were having some kind of trouble. Mm-hmm. Could you hear what the trouble was about? No, just a lot of yelling and waving. Could hear no outright words. Mm-hmm. You want to go ahead, please? Well, next thing I knew was when the fellow got out of the car, started swinging at the other one. That was the victim? Yeah, one of them was shot. All right. 
Well, you just bet the guy tackled more than he could handle. The victim fellows started to clean up on this other one. He just started to mop the street with it. I see. That's when the guy who was waiting in the car got out and went over to help his friend, you see. Mm-hmm. Three of them kind of struggled around for a while, and the one from the car pulled the gun. Bang, bang. Two shots. First guy dropped right down on the sidewalk. The other two got in the car and took off. Went roaring down Normandy. Uh, that way. Can you describe the second car? Well, not too good. I, I just got a glance at it. I wasn't paying a lot of attention at first. The time I figured I should take a good look at the... It was gone. I see. Now, how about the men driving it? What, what do you want to know? Can you describe them? Not good. Well, if you tell us just what you can, Mr. Cates, it'd help. Sure. First one was a tall, lanky fellow. He didn't weigh much. Sort of string bean. Mm-hmm. How tall would you say? Oh, I don't know. Close to 6'3", maybe 6'2". Round in there. He's a tall one. About how old? 23, 25. I couldn't tell that too good. Let me see. What about his coloring? Was he light or dark? Do you remember? Light. He was blonde. How about his clothes? He had on a pair of jeans. One of them jackets, you know, made out of the same kind of material. Rivets-like on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, were real tight jeans. Uh, both of them were wearing them. Anything else you can tell us about the tall man? No. Was he the driver of the car? Oh, yeah. He was the one who did the shooting, the tall fellow. Could you see the gun? Yeah, but not good. Do you remember whether it was a revolver or an automatic? Well, it looked like a revolver to me. All right, now what about the other man? He was shorter than the first one. No runt, but, uh, you know, shorter. Guess anybody looks small next to him. About how tall was he? Oh, he's about 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, Give a couple, take a couple. All right. How was he built? Sort of light, well, maybe 140. Anything else about the two men? Did either of them wear glasses, do you remember? No, no, not so as I could see. Might have taken them off, you know, before they got out of the car. Might have, but uh, I didn't see him when the fight started. Did either of them use a name that you could hear? I told you before, I couldn't hear anything they said. There's just a lot of yelling when the fight started. All right. Wasn't anything special about the two fellows to make them stand out. One tall, the other short. No big reason to remember them. Afraid you got it wrong, Mister. Huh? We got a reason. We made arrangements for Andrew Cates to come down to the office and look through the mud books. The rest of the neighborhood was checked again, but we were unable to find anyone else who'd witnessed the shooting. While we'd been talking to Cates, a team of detectives from Homicide Detail had gone out to the victim's house. They didn't find anyone at home, but when they spoke to the neighbors, they were told that Matthew Denton's wife was in a hospital. Frank and I checked with her doctor and found out that she was in the maternity ward. He recommended that we delay talking to the woman as long as possible since she was in a weakened condition. From the hospital records, we found that Denton was employed by an advertising agency. We checked with the nurses on duty and found that he'd left the hospital with another man. They gave us a description of him, but they were unable to identify him for us. We asked that they call the office in the event the man returned to the hospital. Frank and I went back to the office and checked out. The next morning, Wednesday at 8.40 a.m., we were back in the squad room. Yes, sir, you looking for somebody? I'd like to see somebody about this story in the paper. Which one is that, sir? About the shooting last night, corner Normandy and Willowbrook. All right, what is it you want to talk about? Are you the officers handling the case? Yes, sir. My name's Sterling Hall. I think maybe I can help you out. All right, want to have a seat, Mr. Hall? Sure, here, thanks, right here, thanks. fine. Sit right here. Thank you. my partner, Frank Smith. My name's Friday. How do you do, do, Mr. Smith? All right. What do you got? Well, it says here in the paper where Denton left the hospital with the man. It says you're looking for him. That's right. Well, you don't have to look no further. I'm him. 
You were with Denton last night, were you? Just said that. All right. How long were you together? Till about 9.30. I dropped him off at the bus stand right where he was shot. Well, I don't want to be start at the beginning and tell us the whole story, would you? Sure thing. Well, you see, I got a lady friend, uh, same hospital as Denton's wife. I was over there last night to say hello. I brought her a box of caramels and said hello. Uh-huh. Well, I was on my way out the place, and I stopped off for a cup of coffee in that little old shop they got there. You know, where they has the gifts, books on what to name the baby and all? Yeah, I know it. Well, I was having a cup of coffee, and this here Denton come in. He wanted to buy a little plant for his wife. They just had a baby. Wanted to send her something. I see. Now, we got to talking and had a cup of coffee. It turned out he he didn't have his car, so I asked him if I could give him a ride home. He was kind of nervous and all. New father. Yes, sir. Uh, we left the hospital, and he said it wasn't necessary for me to take him all the way home. said for me to just drop him off the bus stand. Told me there was one went right near his house. All right. Well, on the way, we was following his car, and all of a sudden it stops. No signal, nothing. Just slams on the brakes, and we rammed into it. Well... Didn't hardly do no damage to the other car. Broke one of my headlights is all, but didn't hurt the other car at all. I see. Go ahead. Two fellas got out, and they walked back, and they started a little ruckus. Said we was speeding and driving reckless, all that kind of stuff, real loud. And this damn, he'd tell them to shove off. Said their car wasn't hurt at all, and said not to make a big thing out of it. He told them it was their fault anyway. Were you still in the car? No, we got out to see what damage had occurred. I see. Uh, uh, these two guys started to get rugged now, like they wanted to start some real trouble, and Denton said if they wanted to make a problem out of it, the thing to do was to call the cops to make a complaint. What did they say to that? Nothing, just said to forget it, and then they got in the car and shoved off. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't see him again, but I got to thinking about it this morning when I saw the story in the paper. You think it might have been one of them two who shot Denton? Well, we don't know, sir. Can you give us a description of the man? Sure thing. Now, one of them was real tall. The other one was about my height. It'd be about 5'8". 5'8 uh, and 3 quarters. All right. Can you give us a description of the car? Yes, sir. It was a light blue Ford. Uh, one of them new ones, you know, with the plastic on top. Yes, sir. I took a good look at it. Matter of fact, I kind of thought there might be some trouble about the accident. I didn't want to be out on a limb with my insurance company, so I made sure. Yeah. I got the license number. <laughs> I got a complete description of the two men. Frank checked DMV on the license number. Five minutes later, he came back to the office. Joe? Yeah, you got it? If you find out who the car belongs to, shouldn't be anything to pick up them two fellas. Not going to be that easy. Hmm? car was stolen. Before Frank and I left the office, we made arrangements for Sterling Hall to check the mug books in the hope that he might be able to identify the suspects. At 11.20 a.m., we drove over to talk to the registered owner of the stolen car. He told us that the vehicle had been taken from a parking lot the day before and that he'd made an immediate report on it to the police. Additional broadcasts were gotten out on the automobile and on the suspect. That afternoon, we drove over and talked to the victim's wife. She told us that the money and the express checks Denton had been carrying were for the payment of the hospital and the doctor bills. We questioned her about her husband's friends and associates. Although we had the story given us by Sterling Hall, it seemed unlikely that the man was killed as the result of an argument over a minor traffic accident. We spent the rest of the day interviewing people who knew the victim. From them, we learned that Denton was well-liked and was respected. He took an active interest in neighborhood clubs and events. The more we went into his background, the more convinced we became that he'd been killed by the men in the stolen Ford. Two days passed. On Saturday, May 12th, the vehicle was found abandoned. A stakeout was placed on it, and when no one approached it, the crew from Leighton Prince went over the car. They found several partial fingerprints, but not enough for classification. The prints were photographed and held for evidence. Frank and I continued to work on the killing. A month went by without additional information turning up. 
On Tuesday, June 19th, we got a call from burglary detail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, nothing. Where'd he come from? Not on my check, huh? No, no, we'll pick him up. Yeah. Okay, right, thanks. Mac over in burglary. Yeah. He says he just picked up a guy for receiving. Uh-huh. Tried to make a deal. Said if he got a break, he might be able to help us clean up something. Say what it was? Yeah, he did. The Denton killing. We left the office. We went over to room 45. We talked with the officers who'd picked up the suspect. They told us that they found a large quantity of stolen automobile supplies in his possession. We took him to the interrogation room for questioning. For almost an hour, he remained silent. How about it, Keneally? Gonna give us a hand? Keneally? All right, come on, stand up. Let's go. Giving up, huh? No, we'll be back. Where are you taking me? Back to burglary. Make me book you. Main jail? Yep. But you guys are all through with me, huh? Yeah, for now. We'll talk to you again. Well, you won't get any more. Tell me something, will you? Why? A little while ago, you said you knew something about a killing. Now you shut up and won't give us a time of day. Why? I told that other cop, if I got a break, you get one. You know we can't make deals. No, it's going to cost you. You're going to take an installment. How do you figure that? You said you knew something about Matthew Denton's murder, isn't that right? I don't remember that far back. We do, and we can prove you did. You're up on a receiving rap now. That's bad enough. But if we can tag you with holding information, we'll make you as an accessory after the fact. You mean you'll try? I think we'll make it. Well, from here, it's got another color. Well, let's see how it comes out, huh? Come on, let's go. Down this way. I know. What's a tab for being an accessory? Five years. Okay, let's go back. Huh? I'll tell you all about it. We returned Harold Keneally to the interrogation room. We put out a call to Gene Bechtel to come and take a statement. Keneally asked that we send out for some coffee for him. Frank went down the hall and brought back three cups. After he'd finished his, Keneally leaned back. <sighs> it's good coffee. Strong. I like it that way. Yeah, well, now that you've had the clatch, let's start the story. What do you say? Sure. What do you want to know? Who are the two men? I don't know. Now, you're going to start this all over again, are you? I'm giving it to you on the line. I don't know who they are. Well, what do you know about them? Not much. A couple of guys are doing pretty good with radios. You one of their customers? Yeah. Me and a half a dozen others. You know who they are? Well, you're not going to get the names. All right, let's get back to two men. Why do you think they had something to do with Denton? Well, about three weeks ago, they was in my place. Had five new radios. The kind with the bar to pick the stations, you know, like the new cabs. Yeah, I know. I had five of them. Want to turn them over. Yeah. Well, the price they were asking was way out. I told them so, so they'd have to find someplace else to drop them. All right. Told me there was a beef. They had to get out of town, so they needed the money to swing it. That well, still doesn't add up to Denton's killers, does it? Well, it will. All right, come on, tell us. Well, I went out of the office for a couple of minutes, told them I had to make a phone call. Yeah. I got a mic hidden in the room, found out it helps in business once in a while. I turned it on and listened to the guys talk. Go ahead. They were yakking about some guy that got shot. The big fellow was saying there was no other way to handle it, so that he didn't like it either, but there just wasn't any other way. The big thing then was to get some money and just beat town. Mm-hmm. I waited outside for a couple more minutes, but they didn't say anything, so I went back in. I told him I couldn't swing the radio deal. What'd they do then? Well, they said they had to dump him someplace. If I couldn't take him, they'd find somebody who would. Told him to go ahead. And what do these guys look like? A couple of bums, one tall, the other short, wearing those jeans with the coats made out of the same cloth, you know. You had dealings with them before? Yeah, a couple of times. You know their name? No. All I know is the big one's called Dusty. I don't know the last part. How about the other one? Nothing there. Anything else about them? Well, they're both luscious. Yeah. The big one is Dusty. Always got a flask on his hip. You mean a bottle, huh? No, a metal flask that they used in Prohibition. This one's all beat up, dented. It's all dirty. But i never seen Dusty without it. Both of them all the time nipping at it. All right. You know where these guys live? No, someplace downtown. They got a pad there. I don't know where it is, though. How do you know it's downtown, then? 
Well, I don't know for sure. It's just a guess. Did you ever hear either one of them say anything about a job? Not those two. They never done a day's work in their lives. The only thing they're good at is lifting radios. They wouldn't work steady if stealing was legal. Is that all they take, radios? All I've ever seen. Guess they got a gimmick. Figure they can make a living with them. Why change? Mm-hmm. I guess they do pretty good. I don't know. I paid them enough times. All right. Anything else you can tell us? No. They work with anybody else, do you know? Not that I've ever heard. How about close friends? None. They say when they'd be back to your place? No, they don't have a regular route. When they pick up some things, they come in. If they got nothing to sell, I don't see them. When did you see them last? The time I told you about. Are they still around? Well, I don't know. Rumble says they are. I haven't seen them myself. You know where we can reach them? No, you don't make an appointment with them. You know if these guys have ever been arrested? Well, we never talked about it. Where they seem to feel about cops, though, you sure figure they fell. They from L.A., do you know? I don't think so. Never heard them say. Only done business with them a couple of times. We never got real buddy-buddy. Mm-hmm. They don't go that chummy set much. All right, Keneally. Anything more you want to tell us? I guess that's it. All right, come on. Why don't you check the books? Yeah. Hey, uh, can you spring another cup of that coffee? It's sure good, about the best I ever tasted. Hey, wait a minute. Yeah? There's one more thing about the guys you're after. All right. Take it easy with them. Like I told you, they're both lushes. I think they're off their rockers. Yeah, we'll watch it. Well, you're better. They're packing heavy. Yeah. Any way you slice it, they're loaded. Harold Keneally went through the mug books, but he was unable to find a picture of the two suspects. The name Dusty was checked to the moniker file without result. Information was forwarded to George Brereton up at CII Sacramento, and a supplemental APB was gotten out. We spent the rest of the day with officers from burglary detail going over reports. We found that they'd been working on a string of car radio thefts for the past several weeks. When we compared notes with them, it seemed more than possible that their two suspects were the same men we wanted for the killing of Matthew Denton. However, they were no closer to the men than we were. From the reports, we were able to figure that the pair was still in Los Angeles. That evening, we met with Captain Lorman, Captain Bernard, and Chief Detective Thad Brown. We worked out a system of rolling stakeouts that would cover most of the territory where the thieves had been working. Three additional teams of men from burglary were assigned to help us, and on Wednesday, June 20th, the operation was started. For three days, there was no action. Thefts from autos continued, but when they were checked out, the method of operation used eliminated any suspects that we were looking for. On Sunday, June 24th, we got a call that a man answering the descriptions of one of the thieves had been seen in the vicinity of Beverly Boulevard and Elmwood Avenue. Frank and I left our position in the stakeout, and we drove out to the area. Should be a couple of more blocks. Yeah, we just passed Ridgewood Place. You better take it easy next block when you start cruising. Yeah. See anything? No. Want to take a left here? All right. Doesn't look like it. Well, let's go up a couple more blocks. All right. Should be a break if we nail them tonight. Yeah. A little rough on the study time. How's it going? Oh, I don't know, Joe. At times I don't think I'm ever going to make sergeant. What are you doing now? You mean studying? Yeah. Legal procedure. Well, you should know that. Well, practical stuff, yeah. Putting it into legal language, it makes it rough on me. Yeah, I had the same trouble. I haven't been able to hit the books for the past week. Wait a minute. Yeah. No, nothing. Keep going. What'd you say? I said I hadn't hit the books. I missed a couple of lectures, too. Well, you're never going to make it that way. That's what Faye says. Wait a minute. Huh? Slow down. What do you got? Up there. See? Next block on the left. About 50 feet on the other side of the street line. Well, I don't see anything. Looks to me like somebody's trying to get into a car. I'm not sure. Well, let's check it. All right. Just up ahead there. Yeah. See anything? Well, it looks like somebody on the other side. Better pull up. We'll take a look. Okay. 
All right, let's go. I'll cover the other side. Take it easy. If it's the one we want, they're heavy. All right. All right, mister, let's hold it right there. What? Stand where you are. You talking to me? That's right. What are you causing me trouble for? I didn't do nothing. We didn't say you did. How about it, mister? Is this your car? Certainly it's my car. Who did you think it belonged to? You got the white slip? It's in the machines, right out in plain sight, where it's supposed to be. You've been drinking, haven't you? Small wonder you officers don't do better at solving crimes. I had a couple, yeah. What's your name? I don't see how it's any business of yours. All I'm trying to do is get into my car. I'm not causing any trouble. What's your name? It's Kyle. Peter Kyle. You got the keys to this car? Matter of fact, I haven't. That's why I'm having so much trouble getting in. If I had the keys, I could just flip the door open and drive off. Thanks. Yeah. Here, what are you doing? Just want to see what you're carrying. Watch, Joe. All right, mister, come on. Get up. What? I'm doing like you say I'm doing. Try it again, Frank. Yeah. Come on. Put your hands back. He's clean, Joe. All right. Turn around. I, I didn't mean to do it. I didn't mean to do it. Yeah, sure. Honest, you gotta believe me. I didn't mean to do it. Come on down here under the light. All right, now stand still. Yeah, it matches the description pretty good. Where's your partner? I didn't mean to do it. It was, it was an accident. I just hit the guy. I just got in a fight with him. Dusty did the shooting. He did it. I didn't. I just got in a fight. All right, now calm down. Where is he? I knew you'd catch us. I knew it all the time. I kept telling Dusty we had to get out of town. We got to go, I kept telling him. All the time I was telling him. Well, where is he? Home. Where's that? He's the one who did it. I just got in a fight. Dusty's the one who shot, not me. Where do you live, mister? Down on Fourth. That's where old Dusty is. Old, safe Dusty. He said we didn't have to leave. He said you'd never catch us. All right, let's go. Oh, Dusty, he's always right. Always knows what he's doing all the time. Never makes a mistake. Not old Dusty. Yeah, well, he made one this time, didn't he? Peter Gregory Kyle and Jesse Haywood Poole were tried and convicted of murder in the second degree and petty theft, 18 counts. They received punishment as prescribed by law. Petty theft is punishable by imprisonment for a period of not more than one year in the county jail. Second-degree murder is punishable by imprisonment for a period of from five years to life. Dragnet is a presentation of the United States Armed Forces Radio Service. Our fucking boys in the military taking care of their own with a little dragnet. You know, hey, if I was in the military, I could think of a hell of a lot worse stuff to listen to than dragnet. Um, anyway, that must have been some, well, yeah, right. I was going to say Adrian Cronauer, but that's some hyped up, weird, uh, extra matinee type bullshit. Anyway, um, still waiting on my man on assignment, so I figured, hey, let's play a little cars. You know, it's a great day, so why not? Here we go. Let 
my favorites. All right, well, we're still waiting for my buddy. We're going to go listen, since it's Halloween time coming up, a little more of that dark fantasy. This is from, um, Jesus, December 5th, 1941. This is called The Demon Tree. Oh, on miniradio.fm. Derp. pounds on the jack of diamonds. You should tear your money up, Humphreys. It would last you longer. (laughs) Perhaps you're right, Crane. But this way I get a sense of honest toil. I say, isn't anyone else betting? Oh, let's quit. I'm tired of losing. Oh, look here, old girl. Could I loan you a few pounds? No, thank you, Crane. (laughs) I have enough to get me back to London. If we ever do get back. Now, why do you say that, Clara? It's only a matter of a stage getting through here to the resort and taking us out of this beastly place. Beastly place is right. Why people come here for a rest is more than I can determine. Honestly, I've never spent such an uncomfortable week in all my life. Well, think of me. I've been here three. So have you, Humphreys. Mm. Oh, look here, you two. It's three o'clock. They're expecting the stage around eight tonight. What do you say the three of us go for a bit of a walk through the forest? I say, why not? Oh, here comes Danvers. Perhaps he'll join us. Anything to get away from this place. Good afternoon, Danvers. And greetings, good people. I take it you're no happier than when I left you a while ago. Oh, the place is as gloomy as a morgue. We've just agreed to take a walk in the forest back of the inn. You're invited to come along if you like. Sounds like a good enough way to pass the time. Oh, good. And we all go together. Besides... I'm quite interested in that forest out there. You remember, of course, the story the night clerk told us last evening. Yes, I don't like him. He talks through his nose. People should talk through their mouths. No, no, no. I mean, what he told us about the forest. What about the forest? I didn't hear it, Humphreys. Well, the clerk said it was a gorgeous place. Lots of beautiful foliage, vivid colors, clear water lakes. But nobody goes there. So beautiful. That's just it, Clara. You see, people have gone there and never come back. Rubbish. A lot of nonsense. Why, the clerk is just superstitious, that's all. I am inclined to agree with you, Danvers. Why, he even told us an absurd story about... about a tree out there in that forest that's supposed to strangle people. (laughs) Strangle them? Oh, I don't know. With its branches, I suppose. Just some absurd legend the people around here like to believe. I believe it's more than just a legend, Crane. Eh? And what makes you say that, old man? Uh, Here. I talked to the clerk again later last night. He dug out this old newspaper clipping for me. Read it, Danvers. Aloud. Hmm. Old is right. Almost illegible. Well, read it. It says... London, England, April 21st, 1857. It is reported that Sir Horace Wakefield, Earl of Dorsha, was found strangled last night in Barlow Forest. His body was discovered entangled in the branches of a huge oak tree. Oh. Go on, read the rest of it. 
Earl's death recalls to mind the weird tale of the witch of Barlow Forest, who is said to have lived in the 16th century. An evil old hag who, upon having a falling out with Sir Thomas Holly Wakefield, cursed him and warned him that any of his descendants who entered Barlow Forest would surely perish. Mm, charming old girl, wasn't she? No, no, no. Don't scoff until you've heard the rest of it. Go on, Danvers. She also added that any person or persons with the Wakefield descendant would also die. She is said to have planted an acorn smeared with her own blood. The acorn is supposed to have grown into a towering oak capable of moving about from place to place in Barlow Forest. Sir Horace is the sixth of the Wakefield line to have perished by strangulation in the forest. Thomas Hurley Wakefield. I wonder. Hmm? You wonder what, Cray? Uh, my mother's name was Wakefield. I was just wondering if she was related to Sir Thomas. Oh, of course not, Crane. It's just a story. But uh, an extraordinary story, wouldn't you say? Yes. Wouldn't do very well as a bedtime story, would it? A demon tree. I wonder if we could find it. Well, let's have a try, shall we? I'm game. Don't let anybody say I'm not. Then let's go. So Humphrey's going along. I say, Humphrey's, are you daydreaming? Hmm? Oh. Oh. No, I was just thinking. Wouldn't it be odd if the whole thing were true? If we all went in there and didn't come back. Well, do you gentlemen see any way we can get into that forest? It's as dense as Father Time's beard. Doesn't seem to be an opening anywhere. I think we can get in over here. Oh, all right. Coming, Danvers. There seems to be a footpath over here. Only one along this line of the forest. There, see? Oh, yes, you're right. Uh, come on, I'll lead. Uh, we'd better remember the way back. It'd be hard to get out of here if we didn't know where this opening is. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll remember it. I'm good at landmarks. Go ahead, Clara. I'm right behind you. I say, do any of you feel that? Feel what, Danvers? A chill. I feel like... like it's 20 degrees colder in this place. I feel that way, too. So do I. It's naturally cooler in the woods where the sun doesn't shine. But not this much cooler. I don't like this place. I'm for going back to the inn. Oh, let's get on ahead a little ways. I say, it, it is pretty in here. Pretty or not, it gives me the creeps. It isn't the kind of cold caused by climatic changes. What was that, Denver? I said, it's a different kind of cold. It's the kind that creeps up your spine when some... some evil comes over you. Oh, now, Danvers. You're just letting that newspaper story play on your mind. Wait a minute, sir. Look! That tree there in front of us... Looks like a human giant. Oh, you're right, Danvers. I could swear it moved just a moment ago. It did move. I saw it too. That's the strangest looking tree I ever saw. 
Look at that bark. I wonder if... Clay! What's wrong, man? I... I just touched the bark of that tree and it... It didn't feel like bark at all. What? No. It felt like... Like human skin. Yeah. Let me feel it. By heaven. It's true. It does feel like skin. Warm. And smooth. And soft. Yes. It feels that way to me, too. Here. Humphreys, you touch it. No, thanks. Go ahead, Humphreys. Feel it. I have no desire to. You see, I'm sure you're right. What's that? I feel that... that this is the demon tree of Barlow Forest. Humphreys. I, I think we've seen enough of this place, haven't we? Let's get back to the end. Yes, let's. All right. Come on. Why, say, wait a minute. Have you noticed how dark it is all of a sudden? The sun's behind a cloud, probably. It's impossible to see the sky through this foliage. It is darker. I can hardly see where I'm walking. Are you quite sure this is the right way? I don't remember this clearing. I don't either. Wait a minute. By heaven, this isn't the way. It must be. We're on the path, aren't we? No. No, I don't think we are. It's so dark. Do any of you have a flash? I certainly don't remember this clearing. I think... What was that? What was what, Crane? Uh, you... You'll think this is foolish, but... I swear I felt the branch of a tree brush across my face and shoulder. That's... That's impossible. There's not a tree within 50 feet of it. But I felt it, I tell you. It rustled like a branch covered with leaves, and yet it, it felt warm and soft, like human flesh. Crane, are you sure? Yes, look, we're lost here. It's dark, dark as night, right in the middle of the afternoon. And we've lost the path in that tree. Easy, Crane. Keep your head, man. I'm getting out of here. I'm not going to stay here and be murdered. Crane! Stay with us. No, no. I'm going to find the path and get out of here. Crane, stay here. We'll find a way back. I don't want to stay here and die. I want to get away from this place. Crane! Don't be a fool! Crane! He's gone. Now he is in for it. We're better off by staying together. I don't know whether we are or not. <laughs> Listen! It's Crane. Sounds like he's strangling. Come on! Oh, he couldn't have gotten far. Right over here, I think. Now, take it easy now. Be careful. <gasps> oh, there he is. Yes. Stretched out on the ground. Like... Like he was... Dead. Look. Look at him. Marks on his throat. Like hands would make. 
That wasn't done by hands. See? Stains on his skin. Green stains. Thomas Wakefield Crane. Oh, what a horrible way for him to die. Clara, that tree. This is where we first saw it, and now it's gone. Humphreys, you're right. This is where it was, I'm sure of it. Then what's happened to it? The important question is, what are we going to do with Crane? We'll have to leave him here until we can find a way out of this place. Poor Crane. It, it happened so quickly. One minute he was with us and the next... We warned him not to leave us. Now the three of us had better stay close together. Oh, yes, for heaven's sake, let's not get separate. And do come on. There's nothing we can do for Crane now. We've got to find our way out of here. It doesn't seem right leaving him there. It's all we can do. Come on. But how do we know which way to go? We don't. All we can do is keep moving and hope to find the path again. Oh, it's horrible. Wandering about like this, like... like nothing but a group of marionettes. Controlled by what strange puppeteer? What? What's that, Humphreys? I said... controlled by what strange puppeteer? Humphreys, surely you don't think we've been purposely led into this? Who can say? Oh, now, Humphreys... Crane went off the deep end. We've got to keep our heads. We found a way in. Surely we'll find a way out. Yes. Yes, we did find a way in. But what about the chill? The darkness? There's some explanation. Perhaps a storm is coming up. Yes. That could be it. Couldn't it? Storms don't rise that quickly in this part of the country. And the darkness came down on this forest like a shroud. Yes. Came so quickly. Hmm. Reminded me of how a corpse must feel in his coffin when the lid is put over him. Look here, Humphreys. I'm about fed up with that sort of talk. Only a fool refuses to face the facts, Danvers. You know this isn't any ordinary situation we're in. The chill of winter in the summertime. Darkness in mid-afternoon. And a tree that strangles. It was probably just an, an accident, Crane's death. Why don't you stop trying to tell yourself that the tree was only an imaginary thing? We all know that it's real. Humphreys. And as alive as any of us. The bark did feel like human flesh. Danvers. Humphreys. Look. What? What is it? A glow of light there ahead of us. It's the tree. There. Now what do you think, Danvers? Look. It's the tree moving along in a glow of phosphorescent light. Good heavens. It's the same tree. It looks like a human giant. It was nowhere near here. It was back there. Do you two see what the tree is carrying? Carrying Crane. It's got him tucked up under that huge branch that looks like a human arm. Oh. It's fading now. Disappearing again. 
fading away. Yes. Gone. He's gone. Now do you believe, Danvers? Now do you admit that the tree is alive? What else can I believe? I don't know. Danvers, look out! He's fallen into a water pit. Oh. Help! Help me! It's quick, down! Pretty thinking. Help! I'm into my race! Get me out of here! Stand still, Danvers! You just sink deeper! Quick! Help me out of here! Get something I can get out to! Here's Danvers! Danvers, grab the end of that pole! He'll let me help him. Grab it, Danvers! Grab it! The I... pole, Danvers! Grab the end of it! I can't! That's three branch! It's begging me! Good Lord! Listen, Clara! A tree branch? But we can't see! I can't get near the pole! The branch keeps feeding me back. Humphrey, do something. He's up to his shoulders now. I can't. I can't make it. I can't help. Take me. Take me. Why? You go under the quicksand and strangle. Danvers, there's nothing I can do. That tree. The demon tree. There's no saving from it. Gone. Poor devil. Didn't have a chance. Oh, please. We've got to get out of here. We're all doomed. It's the Wakefield curse. Clara, stop it. It is the curse. We're helpless. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. Clara, stop it. Oh, please. Now, we can't give up. We've got to find a way out of this place. Follow me. Be careful where you step. Whatever happens, keep your head, Clara, for heaven's sake. through the trees. Yes, I remember the landmarks. Oh, thank God for the light. Come on, Clara. Out of this place. There's nothing we can do for Danvers or Crane now. you feel as I do. I thought we'd be safe back here in the hotel. I don't know how to describe it, but I have a feeling that this whole business isn't over yet. I know. I've had the same feeling. A feeling that we're not finished with the demon tree. Or that it's not finished with us. Yes. 
Exactly. Yeah, my room. I'd better go in and have a drink, Clara. Heaven knows we need one. Yes, I certainly do. What's worrying me is how am I going to explain what happened to Craig in Denver? Yeah, wait a minute. I'll get the light. There. Humphrey, on the bed there. Good Lord. The branch of a tree about two feet long. Humphrey, don't touch it. Look at it. Look at it. A fresh living branch. Put it down. Oh, Humphreys, I'm getting out of here. Where are you going? Down to the lobby and wait for the stage. Oh, hold on, I'll go with you. Wait, Clara. Wait, it's three flights down. Let's take the elevator. All right. We can get the thing up here. It's automatic. Just push the button, it'll come up. Humphreys, look. Someone left the steel gate open. I say, that's dangerous. It certainly is. <gasps> Humphreys, that branch is pushing. Drop it! Drop it! down the shaft. It's after me. Get away. Get away. Help me. Help me, somebody. The tree. The demon tree. It's talking me. descendant of Sir Thomas Hurley Wakefield, who enters Barlow Forest, is doomed to die. And all who enter the forest with him are likewise doomed.
Just saw the uh, the run the great the powerful um, <laughs> Wustein, um, great fella. He just got attacked by the case of the flaming hot Cheetos, and you'd think a man his age would know. <laughs> you don't go to sleep on flaming hot Cheetos, but man, not a whole bag full, dog. You ain't gonna make it the next morning. So, but what are you gonna do, right? Some people are addicted to heroin, right? <laughs> Yeah, there are worse shits to be worried about. Anyway, I was thinking last night, um, real quick, before I get to some other shows and shit, I'll probably play another suspense. And I wanted to talk to him about this because I haven't, like, back in the 80s when I was growing up in 90s, like, before there were actually, like, a lot of um, the science, like, in operations to have people be uh, what is now termed transgender, um, was um, hermaphrodites. Like I hadn't heard, I hadn't fucking even heard of the term in so long. It popped into my head last night. Like, well, what the fuck? Like, who in the fuck is like the hermaphrodite lobby, right? And what? Where do they fall? Like on like the line, like you know, true hermaphrodites. Like I remember seeing old photos. God damn it, this is so weird. I was gonna talk to him about this, but I guess it's just between you and me now. And maybe I'll talk to him about it next week. But I'll just just mention this when i was young and um getting off work and shit until my teenage years um i'd go to this real shitty gas station um up in michigan in this real shitty gas station that well, i don't feel it was a shitty gas station but there was like two pumps it was on the corner of fuck where and no place and um this like I don't know, just foreign fellow was in there working and did not mind selling pornography to underage kids. So, but back in the day, right, like, I didn't have a lot of money, obviously. I was just working at the record store. But, um, you know, I could always blow five, ten bucks or whatever on a stash of uh, pornography. Because um, back then, like, and I think they still do this, the pornography would come in these, like, like, the discount porno would come in these fucking... Um, what would you call it? Like plastic bags. Um, not like plastic. Well, yeah, whatever. It doesn't fucking matter. Like plastic bags. Like you'd see a magazine on the shelf that would have like a CD in it or something, you know? So they come like three or four to a bundle for like, like I said, like five, ten bucks. Because these are basically, what these actually are like returned magazines that are being resold like on the secondary market. Which is like to say... Um, these magazines have gone out to like the official adult bookstores and these we're talking like D list hustler shit and with like a fake cover like it's not a fake cover but like the the top magazine that you could actually look at would be like I don't know a six month old a year old playboy or a swank or a hustler or something and deep inside were some pornography that can make a 15 year old's dick limp which is pretty outstanding 
Like, it's that pornography was so tough, you'd be like, what the fuck? But anyway, so, and I was just, it was, that shit was popping into my head last night. I don't know, sure, last night, who cares? And, um, and it just made me think. Because, like, in these magazines, you'd see, like, pegging, like, you know, because it's... <laughs> The preggers, you see, like, because this meant, like, obviously, there's a lot of people into this shit. Because if if it's being sold and then unsold and then resold, somebody's into this. Like, I remember a guy who had every issue of Modern Drummer magazine in order on his shelf. So there's, you know, and he had the world's second largest drum kit. He's still chasing Neil Peart, or at least he was about 10, 10 years ago, let's say, 15 years ago, whatever. But, um, who gives a fuck? We're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> talking about hermaphrodites george but anyway <laughs> like in those books i would see there would be hermaphrodites and shit and like it it didn't work for me but i could i was like wow that's kind of wild but i was also thinking about like does that how like it's it's hard enough out here to find love right for a lot of people and like depending on where you live and your circumstances in life that window of like finding mates gets smaller and smaller at least mates that you want to mate with god that sounds so gross but like you know potential fucking partners there you go that's the new way but that's a nice way of putting it right that's that's modern language all cleaned up like um (laughs) your your partner um your window of available partners who you would be into too seems to get narrower and narrower and narrower like the the different more un quote unquote normal you are right like you know if you're not part of like the i don't know whatever fucking percentage it is in this world that's just you know eh, you know dick chicks or chick guys or whatever right you miss all that right (laughs) and like the people i imagine who are into that shit are like maybe the worst fucking people i'd ever want to deal with (laughs) my man had so many cats in that fucking space it was wild and uh like your eyes could fucking go bananas and shit but anyway (laughs) i was just thinking like that's gotta be a bummer man like you know like i'm sure little people which still that term to me still sounds condescending <laughs> but like no i guess nobody likes midget and like dwarf I, dwarf just sounds like some out of lord of the rings so yeah you know shorties sub shorty you know but <laughs> that's what got me fired from a job once anyway i was just thinking <laughs> i was just thinking it's got to be a bummer to like have to f- especially pre-internet days to try to find somebody who would be cool enough with you like you know that had to be like hitting a fucking home run bottom of the ninth world series shit that must have been the coolest most believing best feeling ever i mean fuck having to hide if you're gay right that's bad enough but hiding the fact that you're a guy with a vagina or like a girl well like they used to say in the 80s chicks with dicks you know (laughs) and um I was just, I was just, I don't know why it just kind of captured my head last night. I was just thinking about like, yeah, I guess, you know, people are, you know, there's a lot of people oppressed in this world. <laughs> and I was trying to bright side shit. You know, I was thinking, well, maybe life must be a hell of a lot easier for hermaphrodites today. Like, I wonder sometimes if they look down on transgender, like, fuck you, man. I was born with this player, you know, like, 
<laughs> hey, some of the brothers do, and Africans don't get along. Like, look, African. <laughs> Just because you dark don't know, don't be, you know what it's like to have, deal with the struggle type shit. Like this weird bouncing around of like, my oppression's bigger than your oppression type horseshit when it's just all horseshit, you know? But anyway, I don't know why that word horseshit. But anyway, I guess like the, the like partner, the the uh, uh, the proper term now would be intersex. But I that's for my money, true hermaphrodite, you know, that's the shit. That's the shit. That's like my ancestor, Native American type shit. That's the shit. <laughs> like the, uh, what's the motherfuckers? Um, oh, the Seminoles. That's the shit, right? <laughs> you can't, motherfucker, we ain't leaving, right? <laughs> and you ain't gonna kill us all. That's the shit. All right, anyway, enough of that horse shit. Let's do Escape. Let's do since it is like the 30th anniversary of a fucking great movie I got to see in a theater ages ago, The Running Man. Let's see Escape's version of The Running Man. Tired of the everyday grind? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape. Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are making your way, tearful and alone, through the dark Caribbean night. While ahead of you, arms held out to you, stands the most beautiful girl you've ever seen, and the most evil. Listen now as Escape brings you Herb Purdom's terrifying story, The Running Man. <laughs> in Taylor that night when it began. The little Honduran banana port simmered and stewed in a sticky heat that made your bones soft and your skin wet. Even Chato's Casino wasn't much relief. The usual handful of Chapines and Caribs crowded around Chato's warped and tired roulette table, while above, the big ceiling fan slowly churned up the warm, smoky air. All right, little ball. Drop back in that number four. You win again, Captain Markham. You've got it, Markham, all of us. My lucky night, lad. Yours will come. Not me. I don't have lucky nights. That's too much. Es verdad, señor Owen. Lo siento mucho. Yeah. I'm sorry, too. you would not be coming to see me tonight, Owen. Mm, it's a monotonous world, Shadow. 
Every night you sit there on your stool playing that mandolin and watching me lose money. Every night I lose it and come to you to borrow it back. <laughs> it's a pretty dull circle. For you? Okay, last him. I don't want pity, just money. 500 lempiras. Ah, yes. Well, come on, let's have it. You're in a hurry, Owen. Always in a hurry. I like to get places fast. I know, but I think maybe you're running so fast you miss what you are passing. Thanks for the philosophy, but I need the money more. What's the matter? My credit no good? You owe me 4000 already, Owen. So? My plantation's worth ten times that. Plantations? I don't want. Just money. Okay, okay, forget it. I'll just have to sell some more bananas. Good night, Chetum. Buenas noches, amigo. Hello, Mr. Loomis. Mind if I sit down? Hey, you lose again tonight, Owen? Chatter ought to oil this swing. <laughs> We've been asking him to do that for 15 years. Yeah. Always the same answer. Manana. Tomorrow he'll do it. <laughs> He's a car. He's happy. And the swing still squeaks. Mm -hmm. Hey, look, Owen. Your socks are nearly half finished. They'll be ready by Christmas. Christmas? That's slow work. You spend months knitting me a pair of socks you could buy for five bucks. Man, I like to knit. Gives me time to meditate. Is that the same reason you stay in this hole? You've been a big man for the American Fruit Company 20 years. You must have enough to get out of Honduras. Yes, Owen, I have enough money to retire. More than enough, I guess. But it's not just a job. Taylor's my home, as it will become yours. Oh, no. Somehow I'm going to make enough money to pull out of here. <laughs> You'll change your mind. You're young and impatient with life. At least I get things done. That's true. In three years, you've built up a fine plantation. You work hard, Owen. But you also throw a great deal away on Shadow's wheel trying to get rich in a hurry. Well, if you don't mind, sir, no lectures tonight. When can I start shipping? Well, uh, what's your deadline? I've got an order for 3,000 stems of Baltimore cut due there in 60 days. Yeah. Company boat will be here in three weeks. I'll make space for your load. Thanks. Uh, Owen. Hmm? You uh, went broke inside? Yeah. Borrow? Yeah. You need some money to pay your field hands. Tell him to see my paymaster. He'll advance it. Mr. Loomis, I... I don't know what to say. It just seems... You're always helping me, won't you? <laughs> it's my pleasure, Owen. Perhaps someday you'll take over my place with the company. That would make an old man very happy. That'd make a young man happy, too. Good night, sir. Uh, one thing more. Yes? A word of advice, Owen, about Selena. Stay away from her. Why? <laughs> because of all the talk about her? She's a bad one, Owen. A devil. Even her own people are afraid of her. <laughs> but I'm not a carob. And speaking of the devil, I've got a date with her down at the beach. <laughs> Look, sir, you don't believe in voodoo, do you? Not exactly, but I respect it. But I don't, sir. And Selena's the prettiest girl around here. Yeah, she's beautiful, yes. But sooner or later, you'll find out we really are speaking of the devil. When I got to the beach, it seemed empty except for a few sleeping gulls. And I saw her coming towards me in the brilliant moonlight. Selena walked like a cat on parade, her body swaying in unconscious rhythm, 
Her long black hair flowing loose and glistening over her bare shoulders. Swimming or talking or just lying quietly beside me on the warm white sand. Selena was a wonderful antidote for loneliness. Boy, you are happy with me, yes? Sure, Selena. Sure I am. Then why you look at me so funny tonight? I didn't realize I had. But Senor Loomis, he tell you bad things about me, no? Forget it. You know I am not wicked, like they say. Sure, I know. But others don't. I'm tired of defending you. You've just got to stop playing around with voodoo, Selena. That's all. I understand. I will let nothing come between us, Owen. Nothing. Selena. Owen. Now you're... Not pay attention to what stupid people say about me. Will you? No, Selena. Of course not. Hello, the house. Anybody home? Here on the porch. <laughs> Glad you came. I've got a surprise for you. Surprise? How'd the loading go? Same as always. Ship's pulling out now. What's this surprise? My socks finished ahead of time? Oh, no. This is far more important than my knitting. Come inside. Well, you're certainly being mysterious about it. What is it that's... A... Oh. <laughs> you must be Owen. I'm Betty Stannard. Betty's a daughter of a friend of mine, Owen. Yeah, and as a tourista, she'll need showing around the island. Oh, but Betty hardly I... needs him showing around, Owen. Well, she of course she does, and I'm the one to do it. But you don't oh, understand. She is... All right. But... We'll let her decide. How about it, Miss Stannard? Oh, well, you're rather impetuous, aren't you? You should see him when he's gambling. Well, Miss Stannard, what's the verdict? Can I be your guide? Well, since you insist that I need one, I'll be delighted. <laughs> Now traveled on Taylor's one railroad. Fifty-six miles of it belongs to the American Fruit Company, but those last four miles are all ours. Oh, and so impressive. Even from the maintenance car. <laughs> There's our house. Uh, your house? I'm only a tourista, remember? But if you stay, you'll be a chapine. Uh, I think I'd rather be a tourista. What? Give up a chance at this wonderful life of tropical skies and red bananas. And chiggers and scorpions and zopos and mosquitoes. Huh? And sopalotes and paludismo. Wait, 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 wait. Stop. <laughs> Something wrong? Plenty's wrong. I spent three days showing you the sights of Taylor and the banana plantations, but I never said anything about black buzzards or malaria. Where'd you learn all that? Here. I was raised in Taylor. <laughs> well... Are you going to show me your house and the rest of your plantation? So you can make more fun of me? Oh, you were the one who insisted I needed a guide. You and Loomis must have had quite a laugh. Well, I, I admit it started out as a joke. But... Yes? Well, I, I've spent every day with you since I came here. That's a lot of time to 
waste on a joke. Perhaps you mean it's a lot of time to waste on me. It wasn't wasted, Owen. Betty, I owe you an apology. Owen... With me, it started as a kind of a game, too, but now it, it's changed. In three days, it changed. Changed for me, too. Then... Then you... Yes, Owen. Oh, Betty, Betty... You know, wait, before you say anything, Owen, there's one thing we must settle. You're gambling. Oh? What about it? You must quit, Owen, completely. You're serious? I've never been more so. Will you do it for me? Well, with my bad luck, I guess it won't be too hard to quit. Promise me, Owen. All right, you have my word on it. Good. And now go on about the tropical skies and red bananas. Zompopos and all. Zompopos and all. Oh, no. What was that? I don't know. It came from those trees there. Near my house. It sounded... vicious somehow. Probably just a wild cat. I, I think I'd better take you home, Betty. Owen. Oh, that wasn't a wild cat. Let's not talk about it. There's nothing to worry about, Betty. Nothing. <laughs> Carib servants gone. The reason was in the living room. In the flickering light of seven small candles lay what was left of three white chickens, ripped apart in a fury of feathers and bones. But it was the blood that made the scene one of utter horror. Dark, glistening blood. And crouching in the candlelight was Selena. When she lifted her head, I saw her eyes. They were dark fires of heat now. And she was no longer beautiful, but something incredibly evil. Selena, why are you here? Why did you do this? Porque gods and devils love and hate, but no one knows why. Why, why? Get out, Selena. Get out and take this voodoo junk with you. I will go. See. Si. But you will come to me, Owen. You will come. Never. Uh, you will come, for you are cursed tonight. I have put the curse of fortune on you, Owen. The what? From now on, you will never be able to lose <laughs> my wedding gift, sweetheart. <laughs> Return to Escape and tonight's story, The Running Man, in just a moment. Univac, the magic electronic computer that adds up figures faster than people can think, will be on the job election night along with CBS Radio's top newsmen. Don't miss the special election returns broadcast at 6.15 p.m. New York time. And make CBS Radio your election headquarters on election night starting at 8 p.m. New York time. And now, back to Escape. Escape. 
will never be able to lose a bet. Believe it? No, of course I didn't believe it. A voodoo curse by a hysterical carob girl? Who would? But I found myself thinking about it. Wondering what it would be like never to lose a bet. And I kept thinking about it. About all the wealth it could bring, the freedom, the chance to get out of Taylor. And finally, I decided to test it. At least then I could forget the whole ridiculous business. Oh, my, my, my. This last batch of yarn is certainly inferior. It's time today it's broken. Mr. Loomis, do you have a deck of cards here? Mm, yes, I, well, I think I do. Where? Where are they? Well, let's see. Oh, yes, uh, in that drawer there. Uh, I don't see... Oh, yes, here they are. Oh, good. You going to play some rummy with Betty? <laughs> I always like that game. Would you cut cards with me, sir? What's that? Oh, no, and you know that I don't gamble. For a penny. That's all, just a penny. Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> very well. There. Queen of clubs. Now, my turn. King. I win. Try again. Nine. Jack. Again, keep cutting. Six of hearts. Eight of hearts. Again, again. Oh, oh and isn't this a little bit... No, no, please. <laughs> All right. King. Yeah. Try and beat that. Ace. Well, you are in luck today. I can't lose. Do you understand? I can't lose. The curse is working. Curse? Oh, darling, that sounds like voodoo. Voodoo? Maybe. <laughs> maybe. I just don't know, but I just won four times in a row. Oh, and what are you talking about? Is something the matter? I don't know. But I'm going to find out right now. Oh, and... Shadow? Shadow, I've got to play the wheel. Too early, amigo. Later. Now, Shadow, now. So much impatience, my friend. The croupier is not here. No one is here but me. Well, then you run the wheel. Me? But I'm the owner. It's not proper that I run my proper. wheel. Proper? Who cares if it's proper? I do. But later and you can play. You're on here, well. I want to play that wheel now, Primitivo. Primitivo? You've given me much insult, senor. An apology would save me the trouble of having to kill you. I'm sorry, Chattawa. That was a stupid thing for me to do. Here. I hope I didn't break it. Well, it is all right. I, I lost my head. You lost the friend. I said I was sorry. See. I, I'll come back later. My casino is open to the public, senor. Look, Chato, I, I didn't mean that crack about Primitivo. Adios, senor. But I... Adios, Chato. Owen. Betty. I followed you here, Owen. What? Aren't you forgetting something? I don't understand, Betty. A promise you made to me. Oh, of course, but 
But this won't be gambling, Betty. Oh, then what will it be? You don't understand. I've got a curse on me. I've got to find out if it works. And if it does? Then I'll be rich. I can't lose. You can lose me, Owen. And if you break your promise about gambling, you will. Betty, wait. Betty, please try and understand what... Oh, Owen, you're a fool. Captain Markham. You're taking a big risk with that girl. She means what she says. Uh, she'll get over it. She's just worried that I'll gamble away the plantation or something. She doesn't understand about... About the voodoo curse of Selena? How did you know about that? If I told you all I know about Selena, it would turn your stomach inside out. She's pure evil, lad. I learned that ten years ago. Her curse will destroy you. The curse of winning? <laughs> That's a nice way to be destroyed. There's no nice way to lose your soul. Just what is it you know about Selena? Nothing you'd believe now. But I know she wants you and she may get you. And if that happens, may God have mercy on you, because she won't. Well, I was warned, but it didn't matter then. All I could think about was the way I'd won cutting cards with Mr. Loomis. The curse seemed to be working. Maybe I was a man who couldn't lose. And that night in Chattel's Casino, I found out. Numero siete, senores. Oh, you win again, senor Owen. Ten times, twenty times, I won. In half an hour, I had won nearly 4,000 lempiras. Numero you cannot lose tonight, Senor Oh, uh, not just tonight, Tomas. I can't lose, period. And to prove it, I'm going to break the bank right now. The whole works are number one. You're pressing your fortune, Senor. At 35 to 1, I'm pressing your fortune, Chato. When that ball drops, I'll own this place. <laughs> I've got Selena's curse on me, Chato. I can't lose. Eh? I'll Hey, what's the idea of stopping the wheel? The game is close, senor. Well, you can't do that. I've done it, senor. Hmm. Afraid of Selena's curse? You've called me primitivo. That gives me the right to have a savage superstition. Shadow, please. Please give me a chance. This is the only place in Taylor to gamble. And I have Senor, to... you are unwelcome here. My game is close to you permanently. Leave the chips on the table and your debt to me is cancelled. But... All right. All right, I'll get out of here. I'll get out of Taylor. There are plenty of places in the world where I can play, and not for Lampiras either. So, Owen is gambling at the casino. And winning. Selena has him bewitched right enough. Isn't there a way we can stop this? Well, that's it depends on Owen. If he has the will to stop gambling, yes. But if he doesn't... Owen! Mr. Loomis, will you buy my plantation? Why? Oh. Owen, you don't mean that. You can have it at a bargain. It's worth 20000 I'll sell it to you for ten. No. Owen, you work for three years. Betty, I can run that 10000 into millions. Don't you understand? But not here. I've got to go where the money is. Monte Carlo, Deauville. No, I will not let you do this. You won't. Well, you're taking a lot on yourself, Mr. Loomis. Haven't I always, Owen? You're like my own son. You know that. I can't let you throw away your life on this crazy... I'm tired of having everyone tell me what to do. All I want to know is what you'll give me for my plantation. Name your price. Nothing. Nothing. Betty, talk to him. This is our chance to be rich. I can make enough for all of us, but I need a stake. You have enough money now, Owen. 
If you don't throw it away... Throw it away? I'm going to turn it into a fortune. You call that throwing it away? You don't get anything for nothing, Owen. But I tell you, I can't lose. The curse works. I've tried it. Even if it works and you can't lose, it's still a curse, lad. There's no happiness Shut up! Shut up! I won't listen to any more of this sanctimonious drivel. Mr. Loomis, give me five thousand. No, not five cents, Owen. But you've got to. There's no one else. All right, now, listen to me. I'll give you twenty thousand for your plantation. Well... Well, that's more like it. On the condition that you stay here in Taylor for six months to think it over. Six months? Yes. And if you still want to leave, why, you're out of your mind. I'm leaving on the next boat, and you can't stop me. I can. I'm a big man in Taylor, remember? Before you get your clearances from all the ministries and the national police, I can have you wrapped up in so much red tape you'll never get away. It won't work. It will work. And for your sake, I'm going to make arrangements tonight. Now. No. No, you can't do this to me. I'm doing it for you, Owen. That's the difference. No, I won't let you do it. Now, let me pass. I I said no. Get back. No, I... Mr. Loomis. I'm sorry, Ed. No. Lash, what is it? Oh. What's the matter? Is he hurt? He's dead. Just a little push, that's all. But when Markham lifted the old man, I could see he'd fallen on the needles with which he was knitting. The needles were buried in his back, and now blood was dripping from them onto the socks he'd been knitting for me. You killed him. He was trying to help you, and you killed him. No, it was an accident. I, I didn't mean... Didn't you? I only pushed him. I think I'd better get the police. Markham, wait. <laughs> Betty, you know I didn't mean to hurt him. You know that, Betty. Don't touch me. But please, listen. I love you. Get away from me. I don't want your love. Just leave me alone. Won't she even let me explain? Explain to the police, Tom. Police? No. Markham, I've got to stop him. Markham! Markham, stop! Markham, please. Please help me. They'll hang me. They sure will. But you know it was an accident. You. You can help me get away. Your boat. My boat to get away? I'd scuttle her first. Markham, I'll give you anything. Money. Get it through your head, Owen. You killed one of the finest men that ever drew a breath. But it wasn't my fault. It it, it was a curse. Please, Markham. We're friends. You don't have any friends. Not now. Except maybe Selena. Selena. Yes, Selena. She could hide me in the jungle. Aye, for the rest of your life. All right, Owen, go to her. She'll take you. I'll let you go. It'll be a worse punishment than a hanging. I was lost. One moment I was a man with friends, a sweetheart, a future. A man who couldn't lose. But now I was alone in a world of hate, with nothing to hope for, not even my life, unless, yes, I turned and I saw her, Selena. She was standing at the edge of the jungle, 
smiling. Eva. She was waiting for me. of Norman MacDonald, Escape has brought you The Running Man by Herb Purdom, starring Vic Perrin. Featured in the cast were Michael Ann Barrett and Gene Bates, with Ralph Moody, Don Diamond, Barney Phillips, and Byron Kane. Editorial supervision is by John Meston, and the special music for Escape is composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. Next week... you, coming slowly through the night, are the shuffling footsteps of a blind beggar who will lead you into a harrowing world of darkness and terror. So listen next week when Escape brings you Kathleen Height's strange tale of adventure in North Africa, The Return. Hear Herbert Marshall as Frankenstein on CBS Radio Suspense and Viva Zapata on Lux Radio Theater. Remember, Suspense and Lux Radio Theater tomorrow evening on most of these same CBS radio stations. Stay tuned now for Robert Trout with the news, which follows immediately over most of these same stations. Roy Rowan speaking. Vote counts. Hear the election results on the CBS Radio Network. the other day i think right ralphie may didn't make it surprise everybody you know um like harvey weinstein <laughs> as surprising as bill cosby which you know it's not <laughs> sadly but um anyway what am i talking about who gives a fuck anyway here on mini radio.fm just uh what was I thinking about? Oh, I was trying to bright side some shit, you know, here in San Francisco. There's this big housing issue, which, you know, it's a thing. And um, <laughs> I was trying to bright side because I'm always shitting on Izzy, Israel, right? Because they're really shitty about the way they do things. And I was like, well, <laughs> I bet if Scott Lee or Scott Lee, Ed Lee, who the fuck is Scott Lee? Anyway. If Ed Lee was a fucking um, 
whatchamacallit. I just died in my brain. Sorry. You know what I didn't do last night? Oh, yeah. He'd probably bomb the shit out of Milbray. Anyway, that's a real local joke. Let's see here. Okay. Let's see how much time I got. Yeah. Let's end this with, like, maybe the best <laughs> radio, film, magician, personality to come out of uh, America, at least. Uh, Mr. Orson Welles, this is the Black Museum show he used to have, and this is called A 32 Bullet. But before we do that, let's uh, do a little um, little more cards before we fucking bottom our brains out here.
You're stupid. I just totally fucked myself out of time. Let's see. We'll just do it like this. Remember, I said, all right, well, we're just going to continue the fucking adventures of Speed Gibbon. Speed Gibbon. Jesus, man. Speed Gibson, Secret Police, ISP. We already did the Octopus Gangle active. No, I didn't. But I did do Speed is introduced to the Secret Police, heading for Hong Kong. And now, 12 badass minutes of a shooting attempt. Here we go. of the International Secret Police. Ceiling zero. Ceiling zero. Ceiling zero. Ceiling zero. last episode, you remember, Speed, Clint, and Barney arrived at Honolulu under assumed names and disguises. That same day, Speed rescued little Gene Kingsley from drowning at Waikiki Beach. And through his heroism, the boys became acquainted with Marsha Winfield, her governess. The little girl heard the boys call one another by their true names during the excitement of her rescue and speaks of this at dinner that evening. They deny it, of course, since utmost secrecy must surround their real reason for making the clipper trip. The capture of the criminal, the octopus. Clint figures that they will leave the islands in the morning, however, and thus escape the danger of being identified as members of the International Secret Police. But a note is brought to the table where they are dining with Miss Winfield and Jean. It is signed by the octopus and warns them to turn back before it is too late. Marcia takes this as a personal warning, saying that the criminal has brought tragedy into her life and that she is taking Jean to her father in China in the morning on the clipper ship. She begs their protection for the duration of the trip, and the boys promise it, though it may complicate matters even more. Just now, we find Jean and Speed on the veranda of the Royal Hawaiian Hotel that same evening. <sighs> the water looks like diamonds sparkling in the moonlight, doesn't it? Earl, I'm talking to you. Uh, what? I bet your name is really Speed and not Earl at all. That's well, why don't you answer me when I call you Earl? Didn't answer because I was thinking about something else. And I wish you'd get over that silly idea about my name being Speed. It's Earl. Earl Fletcher. All right. But I like Speed better than I do Earl. You do, huh? But Earl's still my name. Uh-huh. And the water still looks like diamonds sparkling in the moonlight, doesn't it? No. Just looks like a lot of water to me. Speaking of diamonds... Is that Diamond Head Rock over there? Yes. Well, you haven't got your glasses on now. And still you can see as good as anything. Why do you wear glasses if you don't need them? Uh, but I can't see. I mean, uh, I, I do need them. I could just make out a big black mass against the skyline over there. Well, that's why I had to ask you if it was Diamond Head. You're always explaining things. It's very mysterious. Nothing mysterious about it. You just have to have things explained to you. Nothing but mysterious things. But I like mysteries. That's why I like you and Mr. Dorsey. I think he's wonderful. Say, Claire, uh, Monsieur Dorsey is wonderful. He's sure been a pal to me. Taught me everything I know. Of course. He's your tutor, isn't he? Well, uh, 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 sure. You see, it's... Oh, uh, here uh, they are. 
Enjoying the beautiful tropical night? Oh, Monsieur Dorsey. Boy, am I glad to see you. Well, that is not very flattering to your little companion. Oh, she's all right. But she has so many questions. <laughs> and he has such a hard time answering them. <laughs> I can readily understand that. Jean can ask more difficult questions than anyone I know. They weren't either difficult, Marsha. Just why Earl wears glasses when he doesn't have to. And why he doesn't answer when I call him Earl. And why... Oh, Mr. Fletcher. What's the matter? Here, Papa. Here, Papa. I'll pat you on the back. Get away. Your pats are worse than my strangling. Are you all right now, Mr. Fletcher? Uh, not quite, honey. The only thing that can cure one of my coffin spells is a long walk. Oh, uh, come on, boys. I, I think we'd better take that walk right now. <laughs> Good night. Good night. <laughs> oh, we'll see you in the morning. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> come along, Earl. <clears throat> that coffin spell of yours sure got us out of a tight pinch, Barney. Sure was lucky you swallowed wrong. Swallowed wrong? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I was using my brains, kid. Brains that Clint thinks I haven't got. Oh, quit boasting. Let's head for the telegraph office. I must send a cable to the chief. About the jewel smuggler being aboard the plane? Yeah, this is the first time that we're completely unobserved. Now's our chance to really get down to business. Are you going to wire Chief Riley direct, Clint? Uh, not exactly, Speed. His name, address, and of course the message will all be in code. I know the business. Instead of cabling Chief Riley, International Secret Police, International Building, New York, we send it to Fifi's Hat Box, Fifth Avenue. Fifi's Hat Box? Uh, yes, we, we're using a millinery store as a front. Something to tie in with my French disguise. You see, Fifi is supposedly my sweetheart, to whom I send letters and cables telling of my undying devotion. But really, you're talking about smugglers and adventures. Hot dog! <laughs> so Chief Riley's Fifi. <laughs> Can't you just picture the chief making a hat? <laughs> oh, here, here, quiet, quiet. Even though the street is practically deserted, you don't have to shout everything, you know. Oh, we're safe enough. By the way, you going to tell the chief about Miss Winfield and Jean overhearing us call one another by our right names? No, after all, they may have completely believed our explanation. Miss Winfield, maybe, but not that Jean. He's got a memory like an elephant. Well, at least they won't be able to give us away until we reach Hong Kong, if we're going to protect them from the octopus on the rest of the trip. Uh, don't kid yourself, buddy. From the way this trip has begun, anything can happen. But right now, let's get this cable off to the chief, huh? Speaking of our secret code, Clint, have you got the key to the code written out so I can memorize it like the chief told me? Uh, yes, I have, Steve. And the chief was more than right when he told you to memorize the key so that you can decipher any of our messages to and from him without referring to the paper. I'll say so. There'll be many a time when you won't have a chance to look up the messages from the code key. I know. I would have memorized the key long before we left Alameda if I'd known I was going to really be one of the secret police. I didn't even know you had a code. Clint never told me about it. <laughs> well, after all, uh, I am in the secret police speed. The pride of the service. <laughs> now, don't start heckling, Barney, or I'll never find out about the code key. Where have you got it hidden, Clint? Well, it's in my belt buckle, Speed. Belt buckle? Yes, it has a false back, which can only be moved by pressing a tiny spring. It's such a complicated thing that it makes a very safe hiding place. While the cleverest man would never dream that it was anything more than an ordinary belt buckle. Gee, no. I've seen it hundreds of times and never guessed it held anything more than your belt. Well, I'll show you how it works later on. Now, we'd better get to that code message off to the chief. And after that? Then we'll go back to the hotel and get some sleep. 
I don't know how you all feel, but I need plenty of shut-eye. <laughs> Me too. Oh, we'll sleep if Barney doesn't keep us awake with his snoring. Me snore? What's the idea always blaming me for such things? I never snored in my life. Snored it. I ought to know. can sure snore. wonder if that's what woke me up. Can't be, because he's been doing that ever since he went to sleep. I can't sleep, so I think I'll go out and see what I can see from the balcony. If I can get out of bed without waking up Clint. Golly, this bed's creaking's almost as loud as Barney's snoring. Uh, gee, this Hawaiian moonlight's sure pretty. What was that? Sounds like it came from below the balcony. Something's crawling up the vines, trying to get up on our balcony. Clint, Clint, wake up. Huh? What's that? What's wrong, Speed? Somebody's crawling up to our balcony. Whoever it is, I have to fall over Barney to get in here. He would drag his bed in front of the French door so he could get enough air. Good thing. His snoring will cover whatever noise we make. Yeah. You slip out of bed on your side, Speed, and I'll do the same. And make as little noise as possible. Yeah. the shadows until you get to the French door, Speed. We'll wait for him on either side. Oh, he's kind in the way. He'll get more air if that guy comes through. Listen. Listen. Speed. There's his shadow falling over Barney. He'll be in full view in a minute. I see it. He'll be inside before we can reach the French door. And... That's the end of tonight's show. Had to cut it short. We'll get back to Speed Gibson, Secret Police, ISP. I promise I'll replay this one. But... Here we go. Have a great night. MiniRadio.fm. Oh, Clint. Orders? Yes, sir. Without a patter, we'll gather around me sea dogs and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for... Let's watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... uh, Aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by Uh, Here's his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch a full-length movie. Thank you.
looking for a personal injury lawyer in San Francisco, look no further than Francis J. Shaheda. Mr. Shaheda did an amazing job with my case. First, he informed the courts about my case that had not been scheduled or submitted yet, despite the language on the citation. I was so confused and afraid of the legal system, but he did it all for me. He communicated promptly via email with any of my questions. I was afraid of an enormous fine for a small infraction, as well as a criminal offense on my record, but he spoke to the DA to have my case removed from criminal court and put into the community court system. I am so overwhelmingly happy with the results he generated and would recommend him to anyone with legal issues. This is a personal first-person narrative because Francis J. Shaheda helped me personally, helped Mutiny Radio go to him for personal injury issues. You can email him at www.personalinjuryattorneyfjs.com. Again, the law office of Francis J. Shaheda in San Francisco. awesome and underground space for an event? Look no further than mutinyradio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsadai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event now. Trying to hurt me, but boy, how it burns me whenever she touched me. And oh, I feel so lucky. October 6th, come join us at Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse for Johan Miranda, headlining... 50 minutes. Opening sets by Amy Bebo, Clay Newman, and Pam Benjamin. Don't miss this incredible headliner for only $10. Friday, October 6th at 8 p.m. Buy your tickets now on Eventbrite. Check us out on Facebook. Like all those comics, and please come support Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday at 8 o'clock. My friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here. I'm giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for mere fun. 
$5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. stand-up comedian do you want to be in 25 shows in five days at mutiny radio in san francisco well now's your opportunity apply now for the spark presents third annual mutiny radio comedy festival march 1st through 5th that's 25 shows in five days featuring 40 comics from out of town and one of those comedians could be you Go to our website, www.mutinyradio.fm, and click on the submission form. Apply for the Spark Presents third annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. It's only $10, and you can apply right now through November 30th for 25 shows during five days, all streaming live, all podcast posts, all Mutiny Radio, all the time. The third annual Spark Presents Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2018. Apply now. If you're looking for some delicious late-night food, I suggest you mosey on down to Bender's Bar. Inside, you can find Counter Offer, offering you amazing late-night food and snacks. Try the chicken biscuit. It's like your stomach's in a tasty tornado. They have exceptionally great daily ground sustainable burgers with sides of tater tots, grilled asparagus, and delicious zucchini, and creamy delicious mac and cheese. You like tacos? They get them! And from the specials, very deep fried fish sandwich to a stoner burger with a donut bun. What are those crazy potheads gonna come up with next? Go to the counter offer inside of Brenda's Bar at 800 South Van Ness Avenue, San Francisco. It's located between 19th Street and 20th Street in the Mission District. Open seven nights a week from 5 to 10 p.m. or later. Counter offer, son! Safe sex is more than just avoiding STIs and pregnancy, no matter what you're into. Make sure that you and those around you feel safe, comfortable, and are having a good time. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. (laughs) 